Episode 10 of the BTB Project. It was 2003, a year that I will never forget. When I was at a crossroads, I was 325 pounds, but I had a goal of playing college tennis. I had to make a decision to lose weight. I decided to take a gap year after high school where I lost over 100 pounds in 13 months. The story is something that I have never shared. The story of perseverance, drive, determination, setback after setback, and finding ways to continue to move forward. You'll be inspired by my story, and I hope it encourages you to go after your goal. Let's get into it. Welcome to the BTB Project, designed to empower listeners to identify their why and to live their best lives no matter the circumstances. My name is Coleman Gerhardt, a former athlete and motivational coach. I've had the opportunity to inspire thousands through my story and help accomplish what they are built to be. You'll be encouraged by each and every episode, and let's get into it. Yeah, when I blow up, I'm a so high like Peter Pan. In real life, be living all my dreams. If I'm waking up, it's in a foreign land. It seems like now, more than ever, we're living in a world that has its fair share of challenges. And when I think of the time that I was facing one of my biggest challenges, I feel like even though it was just a few years ago, it's much less daunting than what I see children, adults struggle with today. And this goes back to my weight and how I did a really good job growing up internalizing a lot of difficult circumstances in my life by consuming food and finding comfort in that. And it led to a point that I'll never forget where I was, you know, in my teenage years and I stepped on a scale and for the first time I saw that scale go over 300 pounds. And as I think back to that moment, it kind of led me to a point of curiosity of where we're at today with obesity and one of the most challenging circumstances that I faced being obese myself. Obesity currently affects four out of every 10 Americans. And this is coming from data from the Center of Disease and Control While weight and overall health aren't always connected, obesity is often considered a cause of multiple comorbid and chronic medical conditions, including type 2 diabetes, some form of cancer, and heart disease. The statistics that I dug into are daunting. You know, the worldwide obesity rate has nearly doubled since 1980. 
4 million people die each year as a result of obesity. And that's according to the World Health Organization. The obesity rate in the U.S. continued to climb during COVID-19 pandemic, increasing by 3% between March 2020 and March 2021. So you can see what isolation and, you know, a lot of those challenging times that we faced during the pandemic also caused with our health. And, you know, obesity increases the risk of several illnesses. And with COVID-19, you saw a huge trend of folks that ended up, you know, becoming sick or being sicker because of their chronic obesity issue alongside of the COVID illness. And it just makes me reflect back, you know, when I stepped on that scale and saw that number coinciding with this goal that I had, right? So I had a goal of playing college tennis. I started that goal when, um, when I was 15. I wrote it down in an old notepad that was just kind of my, my dream book, right? I'd, I'd journal, I'd, I'd put stuff down that piqued my curiosity and taking tennis to a level of, of playing in college was, was one of them. And I'll just never forget, you know, the, the moment not only being on that scale and seeing that number, but what got to that point? You know, I was pretty new to tennis. I was starting to find some success with certain aspects of my game, but I never... Um, I never really had success early. And I remember the first 14 tennis tournaments I played, I actually lost in the first round. And I just remember going to these tournaments and looking around and, and here I am, you know, at that point, maybe 5'9", five, 5'10", 300 pounds, and there were a lot of people that looked completely different than me. And so you had every single aspect that you can think of that started, you know, weighing on my shoulders. And this was back in the early 2000s. And I wanted to talk through it because I think it's important to, to know that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, there are ways to recognize it, take ownership of it, and change the trajectory of your life. And that's what this episode is really going to focus on. I'm going to take you on the 100-pound weight loss journey that I had between graduating high school and going to college. And it was a journey that undoubtedly saved my life. And it took a lot of different circumstances, people, influence, change of environment, 
mindset, nutrition adjustment, a lot of things that I think will be helpful for people today because obesity, it's a epidemic. And I believe it's something that we can tweak and conquer. And I hope that this journey inspires you all. So fast forwarding, one of the greatest accomplishments I had in my tennis career was my junior year in college. I played a tennis tournament in Omaha, Nebraska. It was called the Creighton Blue Jay Invitational. And this tournament was a group of Division Two and Division One schools that had some pretty good players. And I was entered into the tournament not, you know, seated or um, favored in any sort of capacity to have any success in the tournament. But the summer before that, I was able to train in a way that I've never trained in my entire life. And it allowed me to do things that I've never done before. And that includes winning that tournament. I remember I had to play, you know, four of the five matches that I won were in third set tiebreakers. So for those of you who don't understand the tennis lingo, you know, that is essentially a very long match. It's very close, and it's a shot here, there, a bounce of the ball that determines the outcome of a match. And somehow, some way, I ended up winning that tournament. It was so awesome. You know, the, the teammates cheering me on, the tears, the... The celebration was euphoric. But more often than not, as I think about the successes that I have, and I've shared this in previous episodes, but it's really the process that I've fallen in love with. And it made me reflect and recognize not only on that summer training that I had, but how I got from where I was as a as a young teenager to you know later teens early 20s into the best shape of my life so how did this all start you know it doesn't happen overnight to get to over 300 pounds uh you know I shared a lot about my my family circumstances and and my mom I had an older brother, and he was like any other older brother. He'd give his little brother, you know, a hard time every now and then. And it was challenging to distinguish whether or not he was just giving me a tough love like an older brother or if he was picking on me, right? And... A lot of those moments, he's, you know, four or five years older than me. When I look back at it today, it truly was tough love. But in the moment, I didn't feel very good about myself. And that led to 
really one of the biggest challenges was the social aspect. When I went to school, you know, all the way through grade school to middle school, I was always kind of deemed the the funny fat kid. And that's what stemmed actually the acronym BTB because kids in elementary school would start calling me Big Teddy Bear because they thought I was funny and they knew that I was overweight and it was kind of the joke, right? And for a lot of time, I, I actually kind of fed into it. I, in almost in an, in an awkward way, before I, I had my goal as a tennis player, I embraced people wanting to be around me and acknowledging me for being funny and, and just looking different than everybody else. But I really, on the inside, was hurting. I was crushed, right? And to magnify that, when I got into middle school years, you know, and the, the concept of girls and, and dating started coming up, I remember a, a dance. I think it was a Sadie Hawkins dance. So that's where the girls asked the guys, seventh grade. And common scenario, you know, girls ask all my friends and at least I thought they were my friends and no one ever asked me. And there was one girl that I thought was going to ask me. She was really, really nice and always uh, wanted to strike conversation with me just as a friend. And I remember she ended up asking somebody else and I guess out of frustration or uh, disappointment, I decided to ask her why she didn't ask me. And she told me I didn't want people to think that I liked you. You're just not my type. I know that sounds petty and listen, middle school relationships or crushes or dances. I mean, when you look back, it it's really not that meaningful, but it, it hurt. Right? So you start stacking all these situations. And the other piece was what I inherited with my family. My dad has always been a, a bigger, stockier guy. And growing up, he was in fairly decent shape. But as he, you know, got into his further adult years, he could gain weight pretty easily. And I definitely picked up that gene. And it was hard because a lot of the eating habits that I had spurred from times that, you know, when we were hanging out together or, or eating as a family, it was constant fast food and 
snacks and sodas and everything you can think of under the sun that is calorie dense, lacks nutrients and, you know, spikes blood sugar. And for the better part of 16 to 17 years, that's all I consumed. And I think back at like my, my three meals that I would have consistently through the day. And I wanted to share those just to kind of get context because the average calorie per day is what a th- based on a 3,000 calorie diet. And between the three meals I was eating, I was anywhere between probably seven to 10,000 calories. And it always was something like this. It was breakfast, some sort of juice, orange juice, apple juice, grape juice, alongside with four to six pieces of toast, butter, cinnamon, and honey. And then I would have two to three bowls of cereal. Loved cereal growing up. Absolutely did ancient tribal dances in excitement when I got to eat cereal. It just, it was it was just something that I really loved. And we had a subscription as a family with a milk service called Royal Crest. And they would always deliver the milk fresh to our milk box outside of the front of the house uh, every Wednesday. And I just remember going and grabbing that milk, sitting down, pouring my, my Lucky Charms, Fruity Pebbles, Smacks. I mean, I could go on and on. But what I didn't realize at the time is, again, how calorie-dense cereal is. So right there in that first meal, I'm probably almost at, you know, 1,500 to 2,500 calories after my first meal. Lunch, I would always try to opt for school lunch because school lunch, they had pizza and these big giant slices of pizza. So I'd probably get anywhere between three to four of those slices, a couple uh, cartons of chocolate milk, and a Dr. Pepper. So right then and there, I'm at another, you know, 2,500 probably to 3,000 calories. And then dinner was always a coin flip because whenever my parents were traveling, we often ate a lot of fast food. So Taco Bell, McDonald's, Arby's, Subway sandwiches, Carl's Jr., you know, burgers, fries. Had a lot of that. Or if we did eat at home, it would be simple, quick, Processed foods, you know, hamburger helper, uh, oven-baked pizzas. So as you listen to that diet, 
as much as as children, you're typically granted with a, a fairly decent metabolism, and and some kids can can get away with eating that. I just was unable to, you know, get to a point where my diet was was healthy and it was destroying my body from the inside out. So I got to this point through diet and growing up and some social aspects to where it all kind of magnified when I was in high school. And in high school, that whole perception of funny fat kid got to the point where there was, I remember a half dozen people specifically that took that whole concept of of fat, funny kid and turned it into poking fun, giving a hard time. I was being bullied. And each and every day I'd come to school and, you know, you see some of the, the the movies where, you know, the kid is upset at school, so they eat their their lunch in the in the bathroom with the door closed. Like I was that kid on a, a weekly occasion. Right? So all of these things were manifesting internally to where I felt like nobody liked me, nobody wanted to be around me. I was ashamed of myself. My self-doubt was at 100%. I was lonely. I was sad. I was questioning everything. So I remember my, my sophomore year of high school. Homecoming was in the fall, and I remember... Very similar to the middle school, Sadie Hawkins. You know, a lot of, a lot of my friends were were either being asked by girls to homecoming, which isn't all that common, or they were asking other girls. And I found the courage to ask somebody that I was getting along with because she happened to be in one of my art classes, and art was something that I enjoyed to do outside of uh, playing tennis, and I gave it a go and I asked if she wanted to go to homecoming with me. And her response was, I would love to go to homecoming, but unfortunately our dog has been really sick and might pass away. So I'm actually not going to go to the dance at all. I'm going to be with my family. And anybody in their right mind hearing that from somebody would say, obviously, I mean, pets are important aspects to a family. There's there's a connection there. There's a relationship and a bond. I totally understand that. And, you know, I was a procrastinator. I waited till a couple days before the dance. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go on my own and, and check it out anyways. So I ended up going to homecoming, and I remember looking around and just seeing all the people, you know, having fun and dancing, and 
all the all the dates and just kind of that kid in the corner in the shadows, just kind of checking things out, and then there it was. The girl that I asked to homecoming was not only at the dance, but she was with another guy. And then I found out talking to one of her friends that her dog was never sick. Her dog was perfectly fine. And it just yet again crushed me. That night, I left homecoming. And I would probably say at that point, I was rock bottom. Here's the truth. At that point, I was trying to navigate my mom's addiction to alcohol, the emotional and sometimes physical abuse that I endured. My dad and brother both left the house due to my mom's drinking, and I was living with my mom by myself. I had the social dynamic of kids bullying me, giving me a hard time, giving me the nickname Big Teddy Bear. My diet was awful, but that was the only thing that made me feel anything remotely well. When I was consuming that food, when I was consuming the, the sugars and the fats and the, and the salt, it made me feel better about myself temporarily. So when I came home from that homecoming, I remember walking in and my mom was home. And I walked in and I knew my mom had been drinking. And she said, well, why aren't you, why aren't you at the dance? I said, uh, girl that I asked, said that she couldn't go with me. Dog was sick. And then I went to the dance and she was there. And it just, I, I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there anymore. And my mom, my mom said, well, maybe if you drop a few pounds, it would work out next time. Now, in that moment, I went from rock bottom to <laughs> I was just hurt. Now I knew that my mom had been drinking. It was devastating what she said to me. So I remember that night, and it was a rainy night, I put on a pair of sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and a jacket, and I had some old athletic shoes that were probably a size and a half too big for me. (laughs) And uh, I put on my shoes, and I just said, you know what? I don't I don't want to be here anymore. And I I literally said it in my mind that I am going to go on a on a run. And I am going to run until 
my heart stops. I'm going to run until until I fall over and die. At that point, my sophomore year in high school, I I don't I don't want to be here anymore. So I go on that run. Go and go and go. And then everything just went black. The next morning, I woke up in a field 15 and a half miles from my house. I ran so far and so hard that I passed out. I have no idea how far I went. I had no idea at that point actually where I, where I was because I was so far from the house. But that's where everything changed for me. Going back to my goal of playing college tennis, I, at that point, used running to tap into some of these endorphins, into some of the pleasure mechanisms of the body that I used to actually find when I consumed food and I found it in fitness and I didn't know how to continue to tap into that through the rest of high school but I started researching and understanding how to change my body. And with college tennis, it's very important to understand that if you want to play college tennis, most of the time you have to be either recruited or you have to walk on and earn your spot on a team. And going back to my senior year, I was so fortunate to have a good friend of mine that I met that was a competitor at another local high school in Colorado that I played in a few tournaments and played in high school matches, and he was also interested in playing college tennis. And he was a very good player. And after beating me in a tournament, I actually asked him, hey, It'd be awesome sometime to to hit and to kind of learn how you how you got to this level because you know my goal is to to play college tennis and I think it'd be really awesome to to train together and I kind of put myself out there because I knew that I wasn't as skilled I was overweight you know what what value could I possibly provide him and 
he he took me on and not only took me on as a as a training partner but as a friend and you know now i go from that really dark place i was my sophomore year to finding this niche in understanding the benefits of fitness and beginning to put myself around people that can push me. And all of the things that were happening as far as moving parts were these pieces that were ending up being put into place to position me to do something extraordinary. I remember near the end of my senior year, before I graduated, sharing with some of the kids at school about how excited I was about looking to, you know, make a change and go after my goal of playing college tennis. And I kind of put my goal out there. And what I've learned in my life is you put goals out there to people that you know will encourage you and hold you accountable. But otherwise, if people aren't encouraging you or holding you accountable, keep those goals close to your heart. And I made a mistake because when I told the kids at school about what I wanted to do, it turned into a situation that, uh, You know, the kids that that gave me a hard time that were that were bullying me began to question my ability to do that. And as much as I was gaining confidence, you know, finding a friend that, that wanted to train with me and starting to have some of those pieces in place, it all came back kind of crashing down in this moment right at the end of my senior year. So two things happened. One was everyone gets issued a yearbook, the classic. Everyone passes their yearbook around and, you know, your friends sign it or whatnot and seeing all those signatures fill up the, the, the front of the book and the back of the book was always exciting and, I, you know, obviously handed my my yearbook out and got handed out and signed over a couple days. And I remember on the last day, I had a signature in there from probably the guy that, that gave me the hardest time growing up. And... All it said was awesome four years. You are a fat. And then he drew a picture of a bass fish. And he showed the fish basically pooping. And what he was saying in my yearbook was 
you fat bastard. And I know that's probably the silliest way to illustrate saying that to somebody. But man, did that picture fuel a fire for me. So after the yearbook, a couple days later, they do senior class announcements. So these are folks that are, you know, Val Victorian or most likely to be a millionaire or most likely to get married. And they were doing those senior awards the second to last day of school. And they had this big assembly. And it was right after the the powder pu- powder puff football game where all the senior girls you know play a football game against one another and the football guys are the coaches and you know, I remember after that game we all go into an assembly to do the senior class announcements and they start reading them off and most of them were already pretty obvious who was going to be the winner of those awards. But then it gets near the last couple awards. And there was one that came up and it was who in the senior class would most likely be single forever. And I remember my name being called. And I had to go up on a stage in front of my senior class and they gave me a prize. All of the award recipients got, you know, a a surprise or a, a gift. And mine was a book. And that book was called 1001 Ways on How to Go on a Date with a Girl. So there I was. Again, very similar to my sophomore year of high school, just devastated. All those goals that I wrote down and some of the momentum I had, I felt like it came all crashing back down in that moment. And I remember going home that day, and I had a good friend of mine that I met through an organization called Young Life that asked me if I wanted to go to the Young Life group that night. And I, you know, being a man of faith and, you know, being very thankful for the Young Life organization, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old. And at this point, upon almost graduating high school, I stayed involved with Young Life and decided instead of sitting and feeling sorry for myself on the day that I had to take my friend's offer up to, to go to Young Life. And I just absolutely let it all out at that group. I started getting honest with God 
about how frustrated and mad and ashamed of myself I was. And I just, I just told him in prayer, you know, hand and knees, right? I just, I don't want to, I don't want to be this person anymore. I trust you. I got these big goals, but I don't want to chase after them without, without you leading me. Give me strength to lean not on my own understanding, but to, to tap into you and, and your will and your, your plan for me. And so that's where it began. I got my high school diploma and I made the decision to not go to college and take what they call a gap year because after talking with my friend who I train with, he said it would be really tough for me to make the team where he went to college, where I wanted to go. And I also talked to the current coach and the current coach after a recruiting trip that I went on and and lost to one of the players on the team pretty convincingly, he said, you got to, you got to get yourself in shape. I was at a point where I had no idea what was going to happen or how I was going to do it. But knowing the people that doubted me, knowing the hurt and insecurity that I felt, knowing that there was an opportunity in front of me, I felt like I had nothing to lose. And so I started planning. And I had this goal. I'm going to lose 100 pounds in 13 months. I'm not only going to lose 100 pounds in 13 months, but I'm going to walk on and play Division I college tennis. I wrote it down in that same notebook that I wrote in my sophomore year of high school talking about playing college tennis. One of the main things that I had to do when I made this goal and graduated high school was I needed to change my environment. As much as I loved my mom and I lived with her by myself for several years, I made the decision to temporarily live with my grandmother and my dad. And when I made that move, I also changed Young Life organizations to where I was in Parker out to another group in Lakewood. And it was a little bit scary for me because I didn't know any of the kids there, but I knew it was important for me to stay plugged in with that, with that organization and have that still be, you know, the, the fuel to my fire to help with my goal, one with my, my faith too, but also, you know, the goal of of playing tennis. And I go to the first young life group and I had this guy come up to me and he was wearing a Marine shirt and he just graduated high school too. And he introduced himself and had a ton of energy. His name was Drew. And he asked me 
what's what's going on? What are you doing here? And I, I told him and he's like, oh, well, you're in school. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just I graduated, but uh, taking a year off, you know, to to go after this goal that I have. He's like, really, what's your goal? And I said, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. And I didn't know Drew all that well at the time, but something about his energy and his willingness to to come up to me and and be there for me, I, I just felt like just comfortable right off the bat to share that with him. And he's like, that's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm actually getting ready to, to go into the Marine Corps. And I'm going to be here for a couple months. Why don't you come to the gym with me and let's train together? <laughs> I said, no way. Like, that's, that'd be awesome. You know, this guy, muscles, lean, in very good shape. And I'm like, it doesn't seem like you need to train much. And he's like, no, I, I got to maintain. I got to, I got to be ready for my, my boot camp and, and ready to go. You should come out and train with me. I'm like, awesome. When, when do you want to start? And he's like, tomorrow morning. I'm like, all right. So that next morning, 6.15 a.m. It's a YMCA in Lakewood, Colorado. I show up. He has a big smile on his face. We go into the gym. First place we go is to the treadmill. And at this point, it's 6.30 in the morning, and I thought there wouldn't be that many people there, but this place is packed. All sorts of folks working out, and, you know, all the machines were being used, but there were these, these two treadmills, okay? And they were looking right at a, a big pane of glass. And so Drew says, hey, we're going we're gonna to start here. We go over to the treadmills and I hop on and he's just like, let's just start with a light jog. I'm like, all right, cool. And he's like, but before we start, I want you to take off your shirt. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna I've got all these people here, Drew. Like, what why would you want me to take off my shirt? He's like, no, take off your shirt. Take off your shirt because I want you to see yourself right now because you're never going to look like this ever again and I was like whoa so I I took off my shirt and I started running and it was maybe two to three miles that we jogged and the whole time I'm with my shirt off and I'm looking at myself and I have all these people around me looking at me. And I just realized this is it. I'm going to make every effort to change my life. And I started crying. And I was just so excited for what was to come next. That time at the rec center just ignited a whole chain of events. You know, I, I now had someone that was training with me, um, 
four to five times a week. I ended up uh, joining a local gym that had a tennis facility attached to it close to where I was staying with my grandma. And I just started stacking days. And I can't stress this enough to you as the listener. If you're trying to go out and, and change your life and achieve something, don't think about the big goal, right? You know, I wanted to lose 100 pounds, but 100 pounds doesn't come off overnight. And I just started taking each and every day, and I told myself, how am I going to win today? So whether it was getting a workout in with Drew, which consisted of about an hour to an hour and 30 minutes of cardio and 45 minutes to an hour of dynamic exercises or weight training. In those days that I was training with Drew, I remember within the first week, I lost seven pounds. And it's not just the workout, right, that caused me to have that type of weight loss, but it was a total recalibration of my eating habits, my thought process, what I was saying to myself, eliminating limiting beliefs, positive affirmations, developing morning and daily rituals to where I was continuing to have a healthy pattern in my life. Earlier, I was talking all about the negative patterns that caused me to internalize, that caused me to get to where I was with my weight. And as these days started to stack, it went from, you know, losing seven pounds in the first week to losing another two to three pounds the following week. And then by the time Drew left to go to the Marines, I myself had an opportunity to leave my grandma's and go train at a tennis academy. I had a good friend of mine in high school who was originally from Poland and he played for a rival school and was a very good player. And he talked to me about training in the summers at the Wigwam Tennis Academy. And I was fortunate enough when I took this gap year to go down to Litchfield Park, Arizona. And I essentially trained on a tennis court anywhere between six to eight hours a day, Monday through Saturday. And for a better part of a year, I went from, you know, consuming almost seven to 8,000 calories a day to eating 1,300 calories a day, training six to eight hours on a tennis court, hour to two hours of fitness along with that. And I miraculously changed my body. And if you could think, you know, the Arizona heat, especially in the middle of the summer, there were days where I was training on a 105 degree tennis court 
and tennis courts retain heat. So really that 105 degree temperature court is an additional 25% hotter with the, the asphalt underneath it. And you just have no choice but to, you know, burn fat and the weight comes off pretty quickly. Along with that big change in my diet, one thing that helped me insurmountably was saying I'm not going to drink my calories. So all the things with, you know, fruit juice or sodas, I literally cut it back to water, lemon water, or an occasional sparkling water. That's all I would drink. And that in itself was a huge adjustment and change in my calorie intake that helped me do things pretty quickly with my body. So in a matter of 13 months, from the time I graduated high school to the end of the time that I had when I was at that tennis academy, I had gotten down to about 200 pounds. And I remember going to a tennis match in Greeley, Colorado, where I wanted to go to college, and I was watching the team from where my my high school friend was playing, and the coach that was talking to me a year ago was coaching the match, and he kept walking by me and kind of doing a double take, double take, like he didn't he didn't even recognize me. And I remember the third or fourth time that he that he passed by me, he said, Coleman, is that you? My coach, it's, yes, it's good to see you. How are things? He's like, man, you look awesome. You look amazing. And that affirmation of hearing that You know, all of those days that I put in the work, I was thinking about what he said to me, you know, over a year ago saying that, hey, look, 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 you're not, you're not quite there yet, but if you make this adjustment, you you could be there. And that's the type of positive reinforcement that I needed. So as a listener, you can see what's happening here is, all of these little incremental changes that I was able to make was because I had a support system that allowed me to be picked up when I put myself down, to be picked up when I felt like I wasn't good enough, to be picked up when I thought that the goal that I had in front of me was so insurmountable that I just had that voice in my ear saying, hey, just take it one day at a time. And you got this. I finally got to a point physically and with my skill as a tennis player 
to do some really miraculous things, to be honest. I ended up playing a tournament down in Arizona prior to coming back to go to school in Colorado. And I got to the finals of an adult open in Arizona that had me get looks from schools like University of Arizona and Arizona State, of which at that time I was able to take college classes at Arizona State while I was training at Tennis Academy. And the coach really wanted me to play there. So, you know, tell me, how does that happen? How does a guy that, you know, I, I had little to no success in high school. I mean, I, I played the highest position for my team, but my team wasn't very good. And when I played tournaments, I, I lost a whole lot. I was never recruited. And then a few years later, I'm getting notices from Division One colleges. I'm having a Division One college coach that walked by me after my weight loss and, and didn't even recognize me. And just their jaws on the ground. I remember how good it felt to be recognized for what I did. And it was interesting because by the time I finally got to that point, I actually started to realize that a lot of the ways that I was able to change wasn't just because of my own motivation, but because I was so angry at how people treated me that I wanted to prove them wrong. And that's one thing that I wanted to uncover for you as well as on the back end of my weight loss, when I finally got to go to college, I almost changed personalities. Not for the good, but for the worse. All the things that got me to that point, especially my faith helping me get to that point, it kind of pushed some of that stuff to the side and became a little bit full of myself. I remember my freshman year, the athletic department did a survey about the best-dressed athlete at the school. And out of the entirety of the school, the best-dressed athlete came back, and it was me. <laughs> a, a men's tennis player got best-dressed. And so... The Greeley Tribune decided to do an article on me and showcase my weight loss journey. And I'll attach the newspaper article in the um in the podcast description for your amusement, but 
you know, basically it's talking about the flamboyancy of my style. And listen, after losing a hundred pounds, I really got into fashion. My mom, you know, being an international flight attendant, she would fly all over the world and bring me back these, you know, really cool items, belt buckles, jackets, shirts, glasses, sunglasses, you know, a lot of these cool things. And, you know, listen, when you put the the equation together of someone who used to be made fun of for the way that they look to losing a hundred pounds to then being a division one college athlete, I'm getting, you know, voted best dressed at the school. And it just started really getting to my head. I was full of myself. And on the complete flip side of something that was really amazing with what I did with my weight loss, I kind of lost who I was as a person. And for those years in college, as much as I had success as an athlete, I wasn't very proud of myself of who I was as a person. And a lot of the people that got me to where I was, I ended up pushing away because I felt like I was, I was better than them or I, I didn't need them anymore. And it's amazing because it got to a point where as much as I felt lonely and sad and ashamed when I was overweight, I started becoming lonely, sad, and ashamed when I was in the best shape of my life and no longer seeking meaningful, you know, healthy relationships in my life. Whether that be with friends, whether that be with, you know, people I was trying to date, it wasn't very healthy. And that's the part of the journey that a lot of people don't understand is all of us have these goals of, of doing, you know, something extraordinary or, or making a change in our lives for the better. But my question always is when you achieve that or you get to that point, like what happens from there? Right. And I was really excited and happy to have that article written about me my freshman year. But it made me really sad about all the people that I wasn't very nice to. And I let it get to my head. And kind of the the icing on the cake moment was my junior year of college, I came back to my hometown for a get-together with some of the kids that I went to high school with. And I remember going to a party, and I walk into the party, and nobody recognized who I was. They came up to me and asked what my name was and, 
you know, some people kind of had to do a double take and, and some of them actually recognized who I was. But one person came up to me that was really interesting because it was the girl that in high school at homecoming said that she couldn't go because her dog was sick. And I remember at the most selfish moment of my life, I see this girl, she comes up to me. I introduce myself as a totally different name than who I was because she didn't recognize me. And we got to talking and her and her friends were asking myself and another friend that I went to the party with, Hey, it'd be cool to, to hang out again sometime. And in that moment, in my selfishness, I tell this girl, you know, I would love to hang out, but my dog is sick and I'm not going to be able to do that. And in that moment, this girl realized that it was the person she was talking to was actually me, the guy from high school. And it's frustrating because I sometimes get disappointed in myself that despite doing what I did with weight loss, that I still had the nerve to, to treat people like that. And it didn't make me very happy. And I had a, a huge conviction from that where after college, you know, I made it a point that I want to treat people in a way that encourages them, that motivates them, that inspires them. And all of this stuff that I did to change my life and change my body, I want it to be for a positive and not a negative. And so that's what I set out to do. You know, the, the stuff that I did when I competed in college athletics, I'm very proud of those moments as a player. But what I'm even more proud of is taking all of these different circumstances that I faced facing them, getting through them, learning from them, success, failure, success, failure, staying on the path, chipping away at, at these goals one day at a time. You know, the most fulfilling thing wasn't achieving the goal of the weight loss or achieving the success in athletics. It was being able to give back. And that's what's so awesome about the weight loss journey is it gave me an opportunity to go to the lowest of lows and to find a way by the grace of God to push through those things. So it's amazing. You think of a teeter-totter. And I look at my weight loss journey as how challenging it was and also how much I abused the success that I had after the fact by how I treated people 
to then teeter tottering back to, Hey, I'm recognizing this. I want to flip the switch and help other people on their journeys, whether it's weight loss, tennis, mentorship, life coaching, whatever it may be. I never knew that life would lead to so many opportunities to have conversations about what people are built to be. I never knew that setting a goal in a journal about playing college tennis in my teenage years would ever ignite me being able to have those same conversations with young, young kids that want to do the same thing. What I realized in my weight loss journey is it allowed me to experience being in the shadows and not recognized at all to being humiliated and ashamed to taking advantage of it and being a chauvinist with all due respect and all of those different variations of life led me to when I coach to have those experiences to help a lot of different people based off of where they're at in their experience. Losing 100 pounds allowed me to be a better coach, a better husband, a better father. If I didn't lose that weight, I don't even know health-wise if I would have been able to have what I have today. There are so many drawbacks to maintaining that lifestyle that I had. And I was so fortunate to be able to snap out of it. And that's where I challenge you. You know, it might be it might be weight loss, it might be weight gain, it might be you know, a, a goal or ambition that you have that you have written down in your journal and you're just trying to figure out where to start or, or how to how to change your life. And that's my advice to you is take the first step. You know, it's really hard to motivate ourselves sometimes. So go and surround yourself with people that are going to support you in your endeavor. Be able to recognize that maybe the environment that you're in, you need to you need to pivot and turn and put yourself in an environment that is more positive and conducive to the goal that you have. All of those negative thoughts that you have and limiting beliefs, look at yourself in the mirror each and every morning and tell yourself that you're good enough. Tell yourself that I can. I remember the thing I used to tell myself every single morning when I was going through my weight loss in the mirror. I know it's kind of silly, but 
That's what I say. I say I can, I will, I must. I can, I will, I must. And those words of affirmation literally was the the match flame that I needed to ignite whatever I was doing on that particular day. We all know what negative talk and negative self-doubt does to us. But a lot of us don't realize what positive affirmations do. That will change your trajectory pretty quick. So outside of changing your environment and putting yourself around people that can encourage you and those positive affirmations, set big goals. Set huge goals, you know? I'm at a point now in my life where I've accomplished that goal of playing college sports. I've accomplished that goal of losing 100 pounds. But now at 38 years old, I have other goals that I have right now. A part of that is this microphone that's in front of me, being consistent with a podcast, being consistent in getting a message out there, a message that provides more encouragement than it does discouragement. And that's what's awesome is as I reflect back on that weight loss journey, it's igniting a lot more of these opportunities and ambitions and desires that I have ahead. Believe in yourself. Create a plan. Plan doesn't have to be perfect. Start somewhere. Take that first step. Do it with good people around you. Lean into your faith. This is why I truly believe impossible is nothing. If I can do it, you can do it. Listen, the BTB project is now 10 episodes in, and I'm super humbled by the feedback that I've gotten and the support along the way. I'm going to continue to provide content and guest speakers and really dig deep on more and more things that have allowed me to help a lot of people. And all I can do is that it is ask and pray that it continues to help even more people. These stories happen to be mine. But what I'm always most excited about is hearing yours. Let's continue to make a change. Let's continue to break the chain of some of the trends that we've seen recently. The rest of 2023 is going to be fantastic. So many opportunities ahead. And I can't wait to continue to do it with you guys as a listener. Appreciate you listening to the journey. And I look forward to the next one. You're told I'll be your heart, temptation.